0: Hey there. ho there. Hi again. This is Josh. There's Chuck. There's Jerry. You put us together. You give us like a 12 minute time limit, maybe less. (laughs) It's short stuff. The podcast that's a shorter version of stuff you should know, which is also a podcast, but it's a longer version of short stuff, I guess you could say.
1: That's right. And as per tradition, you started off the show by saying,
0: (laughs) hey there. ho there. Right. (laughs) You want to talk about black loyalists? I do, man. So you picked this one. Hats off to you. Uh, tri-cornered hat with a big old Yankee Doodle feather. Off to you, um, because I'd never heard anything about this, and I majored in history, colonial history, and I didn't even pick up on this one.
1: Yeah. So this is uh, this. We did a, a regular long-form episode for Black History Month on Tuskegee Airmen, and uh, now we're doing a shorty version for the Black Loyalists mm-hmm. for Black History Month. And it goes a little something like
0: this: a right. one and a two. <laughs> so uh, the black loyalists, Chuck, yes, are in a very much overlooked um, group in American history, and yeah, they super. they were African Americans, or I guess African African slaves who yeah. lived in the colonies. Uh, some of whom were free too, but mostly were slaves that ended up fighting for Great Britain in the uh, American Revolutionary War.
1: Yeah, so uh, it's important to kind of set the stage here. What's going on uh, in 1776, Um, African slaves uh, were were all over the place and, well, not all over the place, but, you know, basically east of the Mississippi River at this point. Um, Or am I wrong about that?
0: No, no, you're right. Okay. <laughs> I, I was just going to support you. Like, a lot of people think, well, yes, slavery was just Southern. No, I mean, in the colonies, slavery was everywhere. And slaves made up 20% of the population. In some states, they were um, more concentrated than in other states. And I think they might have never been in uh, Rhode Island or Pennsylvania. I'm not sure. But they, you could find states in the North as well as the South at the time.
1: For sure, um, because the South uh, was uh, a lot of the— Uh, Commerce was based on the plantation model. Obviously, a lot more slaves in the South uh, to the tune of like 40% in Virginia. South Carolina was 60% slaves. Uh, But even up in Boston, slaves made up 20% of the population. Right. So uh, before the uh, war for independence even started, there was an effort by the British to get American slaves on their side and basically say, hey, Be a loyalist and take up arms against your plantation owner, and we will grant you freedom.
0: Yep. Not only are we going to grant you freedom, we're going to give you some land after we uh, kick the rebels' butts.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, there was a governor, uh, the British royal governor of Virginia, Lord Dunmore, said uh, this was sort of the first, um, I guess the first Emancipation Proclamation. Yeah. He said, you know, you guys can be free. Take up arms against your oppressors, uh, because they were looking for for people to fight. Like every time this this happened, a couple of times, it's because right. they needed men to fight on their side. It wasn't, I mean, I wish it was just some altruistic move, but it was like we need feet on the ground with guns.
0: Right. That first uh, proclamation by Dunmore was was, um, I guess, proclaimed. Before the the Declaration of Independence was ever signed, this is seventy five. Yeah, this is while the rebellion is just starting up and it's kind of isolated and sporadic. And there was an armed rebellion in Virginia that Dunmore, the governor of Virginia, was trying to put down. And so that's why he said, "You come fight for us, rise up against your um, your plantation owners and the um, the the." the what were the guys who like uh, the overseers? You you rise up against these guys, the rebels. We will we will give you, give you your freedom. And I mean, at this point, it's not even clear that the colonies are going to form an armed, um, organized revolt like the Revolutionary War. So it just seemed like this was a, a rebellion, a, a local rebellion that needed putting down.
1: Yeah, and they even uh, I believe between about eight hundred and two thousand slaves and servants. Uh, indentured servants fled their plantations, took up mm-hmm. arms. Uh, there was one regiment named uh, Dunmore's Ethiopian Regiment, mm-hmm. which uh, had a on their uniform the insignia "Liberty to Slaves." Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, and this was, like I said, the first big mass emancipation, uh, uh, close to a hundred years before Abraham Lincoln signed the official Emancipation Proclamation.
0: Yeah, and what was cool about it was these these um, the slaves who took up the British offer um, were not just like fighting for their own freedom; they were fighting to free the the slaves who were you know left behind. Sure. It was really um, it was pretty cool. I had not heard about the Ethiopian regiment before, but. Um, as the as the uh, american revolution goes into full swing and by uh, i think 1779 when the tide is turning against the british the british released a second emancipation proclamation and said hey if you just leave and come over to british held territory will will you'll be free you don't even have to fight
1: yeah this Which, was uh, this is a cool idea because this This basically was like they think they can get more people to do that if they don't think they have to fight mm-hmm. and what it does is is it leaks all these uh, workers from the plantations, and then in order to guard their plantations now the plantation owners had to you know use people that would have been fighting in the war right. to stay at home and guard that plantation so it was It was known as a, a economic warfare basically.
0: Right, which is pretty smart. And for the African slaves who took them up on their offer, there was win-win for them. So, um, I think a total of uh, 12,000 African-descended slaves fought for the British during the Revolutionary War. Yeah. And at the end of the war, um, which the American colonies won, there was a there was a problem because, I mean, it wasn't like the Brits were like, all right, fine, we're going home. There was a negotiated treaty. Like, there was an end to hostilities. The, the, there was It was like a formal war. And in formal wars, things come up, things happen in war that um, need to be settled after the war. One of the main points of contention was the status of the African slaves who had defected or just gone over to the British side and said, hey, we're here to fight what was to be done with them. And the Brits could have very easily been like ha ha suckers we're not we're not going to keep our word on any of this. But they didn't do that. They didn't keep their word on all of it, but they they kept their word on some of it. And let's just take a quick break chuck and we'll come back and fill everybody in on the rest of the details.
1: As important as choosing the right destination when traveling, is choosing the right travel partner. Jean. Eugene Fodor. Jean, what's we'll with it? Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So You write these books, Jean, and last on the business, I understand now, it's a wise man uh, marries a wiser woman. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so when we left, the war is over. George Washington is negotiated to have uh, quote unquote U.S. property returned, which mm-hmm. included these enslaved Africans. And on the other side, you have a commander-in-chief named Guy Carlton who said, well, you know, we gave our word and negotiated these certificates of freedom for these loyalists. um, But here's what we're going to do, everyone. Uh, We think you need to leave the country. And we think you should go to Nova Scotia, which is a province in Canada that we rule. And I'm sure they were like, Nova Scotia? (laughs) This is not what I signed up for. Um, but they went there anyway. And in the 18th century, in the late 18th century, 40,000 uh, loyalists, both white and black, went mm-hmm. to Nova Scotia, uh, including uh, more than 1,200 slaves of these white loyalists. And all of a sudden, Nova Scotia was like, we don't have resources for all these people. No, it was
0: called Nova Scarcity at the time, which I'm guessing you knew. Yes. <laughs> so um this is kind of a big problem Chuck because the population of Nova Scotia at the time was what like like maybe 12 or something 13,000 people and all of a sudden 40,000 showed up. Yeah. And when that happens just common economics means that you have a really really big labor supply and probably not very not nearly enough Demand, and so when that happens, people start to fight with one another.
1: Yeah, and you know, uh, like you would imagine, even in Nova Scotia, these um, new arrivals were kind of kicked to the back of the line, and uh, things got tense. Uh, finally, at one point, there was a, a black preacher named David George baptized a white woman, and that sparked what people basically say is the first race riot in North America in 1784
0: yeah the shelburne riot um, The whites showed up, and they uh beat David George uh pretty bad. They went through the Shelburne settlement, which is largely um African uh freed slaves, and literally pulled their houses over, just trashed the place and This riot went on for months and it was it sounds pretty familiar it's you're you're cha- you're selling your labor for too cheap and stealing our jobs, so we're going to take all of our angst out on you. So the the, the riot was finally put down um, when troops came in from Halifax, the capital of Nova Scotia, and restored order. But by this point, um, the black loyalists who had been promised not just freedom but, remember, land and are now ending up in Nova Scotia where things are really, really tense they're like we've got to we've got to get the crown to do something about this so they send a guy named um, Thomas Peters to go petition the crown in London or parliament at least one of them and um say hey w- you know can we get our land now we we did everything we were asked of and uh he didn't get anywhere with the crown at least no
1: they they said well we've got another idea we've got this uh We've got this area in West Africa, in Sierra Leone, mm-hmm. and what we think is a good idea is to make this like a sanctuary for for you folks, and we can send you over there, and it'll be great. You're going to love it. That's the best place for freed slaves to be, back in Africa. Uh, it became basically in 1792, uh, when 15 ships sailed from Halifax Harbor, the, the very first voyage of the Back to Africa movement. Mm-hmm. And there were some that um, stayed back in Nova Scotia, uh, and they settled at a place called Birchtown, uh, named after Samuel Birch. But a lot of them left and went to Sierra Leone. And um, that was sort of the, you know, the end-ish of that story. Uh, The cool thing is, is you can still trace, uh, there are 20,000 black people living in Nova Scotia today, Mm -hmm. and you can trace a lot of those back to these black loyalists.
0: Yeah, there's one guy that uh, shows up in this article named Jason Farmer. He's a ninth-generation descendant of a black Loyalist named Jupiter Farmer. And Jupiter married a woman named Venus, if you can believe that. (laughs) And his family's been living in uh, Birchtown for about 230 years.
1: Yeah, it's pretty cool. He works at the Black Loyalist Heritage Center and Historical Site. And he said a lot of people in Nova Scotia, even descendants, don't even realize Mm -hmm. that this is their history. And so when I tell the story... He said it's, it's pretty powerful stuff.
0: Yeah. Well, good pick, Chuck. I'm glad we did this one. Yeah. Uh, if you want to know more about Black Loyalists, go check it out on the internet and send us an email in the meantime to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com.